We are no one. We are everyone. And we are invisible. We convinced ourselves that they were gone. But they were just hibernating. They came for everybody. All police. Are we safe? I guess we have ourselves a reckoning. What are you two talking about? Oh, nothing. Just the end of the world. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. Welcome everybody to uh, We Watch Watchmen, our uh, side gig here on the HHWLOD network where we're uh, looking at the HBO Watchmen uh, miniseries. Already up to episode six. It's incredible. Um, uh, joining me tonight, Lady True's personal gardener, Aaron Newworth. Hey there. Uh, Ozymandias' personal groomsman, Richard the Chub Toad Sheldon. Yep. And the other black vigilante of New York City in the 1930s, Mr. Daryl Taylor. That's right. I lived on Jama- near Jamaica Avenue, so I know that walk. <laughs> this episode is titled This Extraordinary Being, and this is an extraordinary episode. Oof, man. You ain't lying. You, well, I just, before we get started, I, I want to shout out, and I think it's Hager, H-A-U-G-E-R, who edited this episode. Mm-hmm. My God, that was brilliant work. Uh, the cinematography, the DP was Gregory Middleton. I, I, I'm just saying this, there is no, I can't even find anything to complain about on this episode. It is the perfect episode. Uh, I don't even know how they're going to top it today. I just, I don't even know. So good. But um, I think that this should be a submission for an Emmy. I think that, um, you know, just every last bit of this episode is perfect. It's funny because not all the episodes on when you look on like Wikipedia and stuff, uh, some of the episodes get their own page, right? This is one of those episodes that got a whole page on its own. I believe yep. it. The, yeah. Um, you know, you make a great point, Rich, the transitions – in this, um, you know, the, I, I, I recall, you know, they, the camera, like, swoops up to look at the top of a building, mm-hmm. and it goes from day to night, and it swoops back down. You yeah, know? that when, smooth. Was, are you talking about when they went up the building in the bean sign? I'm just, I'm just using an example, but like you said, oh, the, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, it's, it was incredible all the way around. And the use of, uh, we might as well say now, the use of black and white in this episode, um, mm-hmm. it was mostly black and white when she was... Uh, uh, experiencing Reeves' uh, memories, right? Uh, but there were little flashes of color that referred back to Tulsa, like he, his mom playing the piano, playing that Bass Reeves music in the background, or when he talks about the Tulsa fire and the, the, the doorway, like he's telling the story in color in the back and white foreground, he's explaining to June, you know what I mean? Yep. It's just, yeah, it's it's so brilliantly done, and I mean how they've 
layered things in the previous five episodes to where it just pays off. It just connects a bunch of different dots. And some of it's stuff that isn't even, you know, really intricate to the story. It's just such rich detail. So good. It's the kind of thing where HBO really likes to show off how they give their creatives, you know, the money to do the fully realize the things that they want to put together, where we get a lot of, you know, we were talking about this just before. We get a lot of streaming programming, specifically on Netflix, where, yeah, okay, they did it. Then they have, like, some talent involved or what have you sometimes. But sometimes it just doesn't really reflect the kind of story they want to tell just from, like, a feeling level. And this episode, in addition to this whole series in general, but this episode really shows a lot of, like, ambition as far as how you make something as cinematic as you can for you know, a brief part of one, you know, of, over, you know series is going to keep continuing and just make it feel different from everything else you're seeing on TV. The the, the, the episode certainly reminded me of something like Birdman, um, as far as, not, you know, not only the use of camera work, where you're having a lot of disguised one-take shots, uh, it's the use of, like, jazz to kind of, like, really keep yeah. it free-flowing and just kind of keep you in this weird state of mind. And it just, it's excellent. It's an excellent piece of television. Those um those jazz drums when you would get violent, too. Uh-huh. Just, it, that was an incredible mix. And I, I, I was talking about this before the show. Um, I know a lot of people complain about uh, retroactive continuity or what people call retcon. But yeah. I think this is like the best, one of the best examples of that because Perfect it literally, example. it changes nothing about the original story at all except mm-hmm. the perspective of this character. And and this character was particularly vague in the comic, too. They never, yep. they suspected he was a guy, but they never really claimed, you know, proved he was a guy so it plays into your own expectations and your own preconceptions of like what you're expecting from something or what you're assuming both based off what the you know the novel and the show beforehand is obviously trying to tell you but also just how your own mind works when you see something like this which is kind of a trip honestly to have the show kind of throw something and turn it upside down for you and we'll get to like why and what have you but i mean it does reflect what the show's central thesis seems to be where we've talked about you know where the comic comes at you it's coming during the cold war and there's all these ideas stemmed around that where this series is based around modern times so very so race is very much into you know the main mm-hmm. one of the main topics of this series as a general so it makes and trauma yeah DNA. trauma as well yeah built so in trauma so yeah. bridging that gap between the comic and this show which is a sequel to said comic it's a pretty great way to kind of both subvert expectations as well as make it all feel uh, cohesive, I guess. So, yeah, it, again, just excellent uh, writing for directing, production. Yeah, and, everything. and it was a really smart idea, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you went with it. Um, we start off this episode uh, with the Watchmen logo, but then a uh, puff of smoke is blown over it, and it turns from the yellow Watchmen to purple Minutemen. And we've got good FBI guy, bad FBI guy. Um, they start by buttering up hooded, in, in an interrogation room with hooded, hooded justice, and they start buttering him up. Like, You're a real hero. Um, it's um, the um, he mentions some of the characters that they went after, right? Mm-hmm. Ca- Captain Axis, mm-hmm. which is an old DC character who was also in Watchmen, and then King Mob. Which is a shout out to Grant Morrison, who is like Alan Moore's bitterest enemy. Yes. <laughs> Even though they're almost exactly alike, they're crazy old British comic book wizards. Mm-hmm. One is bald and one has hair all over him. That's the only difference. But he says, "Oh, you took King Mob." And they both have done interesting amounts of drugs, and it and, shows in their writing. <laughs> and they do uh, ritual magic too. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> 
the two cops are interrogating Hooded Justice, and he asks him, what do you, you know, what's the, what's the noose around your neck for? You know, I think it's like a executioner thing, but my partner here, tell him what you think it is. A sex thing. Sex stuff. <laughs> and he says, look, um, he tells him that his buddy Nelson uh, has a camera above the bed, and he's trying to blackmail J. Edgar Hoover. And, of course, that couldn't possibly be Hoover, because Hoover is not a de- depraved homosexual. <laughs> and he says, uh, what, what was on those photos? And the guy, other guy just says, sex stuff. Um, so their plan to, to hooded justice is they want him to get the film and rip up the photo of Hoover. They're going to take a picture of him here, and if the, they do, he does that for them, then uh, they'll rip up the picture and he can remain anonymous. So he takes off his hood, and it's an actor from American Horror Story. Yes, it's Cheyenne Jackson. Cheyenne Jackson. At well, first, like, because oh. of the, the the profile that they cut to really quick, I was like, is that Joaquin Phoenix? Because it just looked like him. Rolling. But then when they went back, I'm like, no, and I recognized who he was. But I also thought it was interesting that one of those two cops, I think it was the nicer of the two, made the comment about their, we're here alone. Nobody knows you're here. Mm-hmm. Right. That's it's the like, tip off, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like okay. Uh, now I can kick you just your ass. Your own, yeah, <laughs> I, you, you just signed your own death warrants. <laughs> well, that's pretty much the cue that this is a TV series and not a you know right really happening. Right, right. Yeah. So um, yeah, and he's like a really good looking dude. He's like a chiseled male model type, and uh, he has the camera and he says, "Say cheese." And as soon as we see what that guy, that agent, is seeing through his viewfinder. Hooded Justice punches him right in the lens <laughs> and then uh, proceeds to beat the crap out of him. And uh, as they pan away, we see that they're watching this uh, American Hero story in the Tulsa uh, police station. And uh, they're worried about Angela. But it was funny when they pulled away from the camera, it's like, I just killed two federal officers. Yet all I could think about was that Nelson was cheating on me. That is bad taste. Yeah. That was proof it was a TV show. (laughs) Right. Uh, Probably written by Google. Anyway, okay. They're also great at doing that, too, right? They'll pan away and it'll be on someone's TV or, or, you know, whatever. But they do a great job of doing that as well. I like the the, uh, Reznor Ross, um, like, Hero, American hero, like the theme that they have, yeah, like just kind yeah. of that build-up, mm-hmm. like that dun dun yeah. dun, like it just it ramps into it, and it's 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 a neat line to walk as far as making something that works for the show and you like to hear it, but also has to kind of be into the kind of parody that is trying to be. Like that's that's neat. I like the way that the entire like color palette when they show that color palette, you know that it's mm-hmm. an American hero story, except for the one episode which was like dark. Right, you can really tell uh, as much. Um, we follow Lori Blake across the uh, Tulsa Police Department to Angela's cell, and she wants her to sign a medical release to pump her stomach, so she doesn't die from nostalgia. And she explains how nostalgia works: um, that they take your memories, put them in little chips. They originally used them for dementia patients, but then it got out on the street and people were abusing it. You know. So it had to be outlawed. And she tells her that nostalgia is made by Lady True. So she's like, look, you know, you're going you're gonna to die if you don't get your stomach pumped. I need you to sign this. 
but she's also grilling her on the grandfather. Did you guys guys read the advertisement for that on uh, PDPedia for the... For nostalgia? Yeah. Yeah, it was last week, yeah. Well, I didn't didn't see it until this week, but... um, Oh, okay. Very interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it was a really good parody. I mean, it looks like a real prescription ad. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Angela begins to fade out when she sees Lori in color. Lori turns to black and white, and she has transformed herself into the reality of Will's memories. Um, she fades from color to black and white. She is sitting with a line of other uh, police cadets that are graduating the academy, and the, the chief of police says, the uniform a man wears changes him. And we pan out to the crowd, and we see June for the first time out in the crowd writing down, she's a reporter for the New Amsterdam Times, which was an actual real paper um, in this period of time in New York. We and should mean, note. Oh, sorry, sorry, we should just note in these flashbacks it it goes back and forth between having Regina King's character there and yeah. uh, Jovan Odepo. Jovan Odepo oh, was right. he was also in The Leftovers, a show made by Dana Lindelof, who which also starred Regina King. She, um, yeah, he's great. He's very good. Yeah, he's so good in this episode. It just blew my mind. Well, and I like also the transition of when it is her actually on screen. Her, um, how it fades into that that sepia with the blue mm-hmm. on her uniform, and then when it transitions back to him, it's back to the black and white. I don't know. It's just really cool. But uh, this is the day that Will is being inducted into the NYPD, and uh, Lieutenant Battle who was a real guy. He was the very first uh, um, person of color in the uh, NYPD. Um, gives him his badge and tells him to beware the Cyclops. He doesn't know what that means at this point. No, yeah. he's just like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just Meanwhile, surprised. I'm looking at the fingers on his forehead and like, I get it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it was a what the F moment. If you, you kind of know, you kind of get it. Yeah. It's kind of a, yeah, he must be a big X-Men fan. Because <laughs> Scott was always kind of a dick. Anyway, um, he goes out for beers with June, kind of reminiscent of John and uh, um, um, his first wife going out for beers in Los Alamos. She knows his past, but we don't know why yet. And she tells him he's an angry, angry man. And he tells her that he's not angry. He's got you know the job he always wanted. He's you know he's got a beautiful wife. He's got everything he needs. Why would I be angry? But she knows him better than that. She knows how much anger. And this is the first time we see when she says he's an angry man. This is the first time we see his mom playing piano in the background. And that yep. uh, co- that color um, uh, sh- that she's in color with the rest of it being black and white. And that transitions to the street. Uh, he's in his uniform, he's out walking the beat, and he sees a man throw a Molotov cocktail into a deli, nonchalantly. Now, I'm going to put something out here real quick, and I don't want to dwell on it, because I don't want to get too political, even though Watchmen mm-hmm. is very political. I know where this is going. Yes. Do you know where it's going? <laughs> yes. I do, too. <laughs> there is a guy named Fred, mm-hmm. and he was in Manhattan about the same time, and was tied to the Ku Klux Klan in several articles and stuff. Yes, he was. Owned a bunch of grocery stores, owned a bunch of warehouses. Yes, he did. And then later on in the episode, we see a truck going away that says, 
F and T and F T and Sons. Mm-hmm. The gentleman I'm referring to is Fred Trump, of course. Yes. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to put that out there. It's like yeah. a little sly kind of thing here. Well, mm-hmm. and it's interesting too. No matter if you're on Wikipedia, IMDb, or whatever, you know, Glenn Fleischer's the actor, and it's only credited to a Fred, and there's no link to a character description right. or anything like that where there are with the other characters. I so. wouldn't expect it. I mean, there's no, no link no. to June either or whatever. So, well, yeah. no, but I'm just saying is, I mean, it's... there were very, very obvious parallels. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there in case nobody knows. Yep. Um, he, he runs after the man and says, stop, in the name of the law. And then he, Fred says, I thought they only said that in pictures. And then as uh, Will gets, uh, uh, gets up to him, he says, what is it? He said, what? What is the name of the law? So he's being like rough flipping or whatever. Mm-hmm. He, brings, uh, he arrests Fred and he brings him in. And, and he first, has a nonchalant this about it too, right? You yeah, know, like that's he's no big so, deal. Like, yeah, this is nothing. I don't even know. And and he throws in, ah, I need to get home so I can watch Amos and Andy. Like it's just the, the well, smack in the face. Well, he racial slur too. At first, yeah. he tries to get out of it by saying, "Come on, guys, who are you going to believe, me or this racial slur?" I'm not going to mm-hmm. repeat it. You know. And um, this guy comes up and says, "What did you just call our fellow officer?" And he's like, "Oh," and he makes him apologize to him. And then he, they take Fred away, but they all make this sign. Of like you know a circle on their forehead that uh, um, Lieutenant Battle had, had shown him before, and that, the Cyclops. That instantly jumped out to me because I for, had forgotten the first of the four times I've watched this episode. I had forgotten that um, the Lieutenant had mentioned the I, the what was it? Um, yeah, you were the Cyclops. You were right? the Cyclops. Yeah, and. I thought because, and I don't even know the origin of this or anything or if it is connected, but recently there have been these racist hand gestures that people are making that is yeah, that simple yeah, or whatever. And I'm it, like, are, yeah. are they connecting that or is that just a coincidence? No, it's, it's common. It's a thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and I did a little bit of research because I really didn't want to have like Ku Klux Klan cookies on my computer. <laughs> Right. But um, there is a group in the Ku Klux Klan called the Order of the Cyclops. And if you look back in the Pedipedia on the letter written to uh, from Senator Keyes' grandfather to Judd's dad about that painting, there is the sign of the Cyclops on it. Ah. Which I noticed going back through that. So, um, so they take they take Fred away, and he's like, "It's like good job, Officer Reeves. Good job. We'll take care of it from here." And, and does the move. Yeah, and they all do that move to their forehead. And it's leave. so slick about it, though, right? Like, it's it's just such a, a quick... He turns them around, he aims it. They're getting ready to say something, too. Yeah. And then he stops them uh, by doing that symbol really quick. And as Will walks out of the uh, uh, police office, or the police station, it's just a doorway. It's just to cut out of the doorway in the street. It's a cool little transition for sure. Yeah, I yeah. like it because it reminds me of like going to see like you know small town theater in a in a black box theater with just the doorways. Like I don't know, it just again more of the visuals were just so great this episode. Maybe they like was watching like a Spike Jones or a Charlie Kaufman type of mm-hmm. thing. Going on, yeah. Will talks to the newsstand vendor who is an immigrant, so of course he would speak to the officer, right? There's almost um, a proudness to him, like he's doing his job, everything's yeah. working great. You know, June. You, 
Um, that's what it seemed like to me. But anyway, he's reading Action Comics number one. Yeah. Just in case we missed all the parallels between Will's life right. and Superman. Let me remind you. <laughs> Let's, Let's just lay you. it all out here. Now, is yeah. that supposed to be the same news guy that is later seen in the Watchmen comic? Oh, there's no way. I wouldn't think so. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I would, because I, I thought I'm like the age just doesn't fit, but at the same time, man, they made him look just like that. <laughs> I mean, he's also Tulsa, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> true. Uh, no, I think he means the one from the the graphic novel, not the show. No, I mean, but it's, it's at the same time. It's still like the, the graphic novel's New York. I mean, it, I mean, it's, I, well, that's where Will is in New York. Okay, yeah. okay, never mind. Sorry, I'm back. Yeah, Sorry. this is no, after cool. he became a that's police right. officer. I'm, make, I'm yeah, mixing it up. Yeah. yeah. Regardless, even regard, even regardless, I mean, it's not. It's a, it's evoking the idea because it's you know news guy behind the hand. Probably, yeah. Right. It's it's also cool that the way they cut to the whole Tulsa sequence, you know, about uh, the boy putting away his parents, you know, send him off into space to, you know, it, again, if you didn't notice all the parallels, then here we go. There's another scene like this later <laughs> where they're like, allow us to explain this to you. Um, as he's walking, as Will is walking down the street, he gets bumped by Fred, and then those jazz drums kick in. And he turns into, and then the and the the uh, we see uh, Angela instead when he when he uh, busts through those doors. That was such a beautiful transition too, like the way they did that. The booking officer has says, "Oh, I don't remember any of that." And he goes, "I rested him the other day. You're standing right here." And no, I you know you might want to leave this alone. Let it be, man. And he's like, "What are you talking about? I mean, what are you doing?" And he's like. Look, there's something you want to leave alone. It's for your, good for your health, right? He's like, take the rest of the day off, Reeves. So later that night, and I'm pretty sure this is the one that goes up the side of the building and then comes down. Because uh, it's daytime when it starts and it's nighttime when he's out walking by himself. Um, he's out for a walk. Yeah, that's when we see the beans. Then that's the supposed yeah. to be the same brand that we see that in the novel we, is uh, Rorschach right. eating. He's out for a walk. His fellow officers pull up to him in a police car. Say, hey, Reeves, how you doing? You need a ride? No, no, I'd rather walk. Uh, we're almost off duty. You want to go get a beer? No, no, no. Uh, that's okay. I got an early shift. And maybe some other time. And as they drive off, they're dragging two bodies yeah. that are in color from the Tulsa incident before. So they're like mashing the two things together, kind of showing us, oh, man, these guys do not have good intent. Um, so as he's walking up an alley by himself, to get off the main drag, I guess, they corner him in an alley and they say that, you know, later, some other time won't work for them. And they beat him up brutally. Mm-hmm. And then take him to a big tree and lynch him. And this scene, shown from his point of view, Oof. Oh my god. It, it was, was so chilling. uncomfortable. Was and that tree chilling. did that tree look like the tree that uh It was trying to evoke it. Yeah, yeah right. That is yeah. Yeah. For sure. I agree on that one. But that was that was just such a brutal scene, it was hard to watch. Before he actually chokes to death, they cut him down. And this is like his one warning. And now this is a transition. Angela is the one laying there on the ground. Tied up with a noose around her neck, mm-hmm. you know, choking on the on her on her own, you know, whatever, and, and the mud and everything, and that was that was another great transition. Um, we see Will walking home. He has the mask that they tried to put over his head when he hung him, 
and his a noose around his neck from when they tried to lynch him. Um, and he sees a couple being mugged, uh, being attacked. And those jazz drums kick in again. Yeah, that, yeah. That was such. A, I mean, that was such a good choice there. He puts the mask on. It's almost like his heartbeat, right? Like he was just yeah, defeated. Yeah, yeah. Like it was just a subtle nothing, and then or like his anger rising from right. And then when he happened. hears that, he just you know it starts to bubble, it starts to boil in him, and then, and then the you know jazz, the music is just going along with it, which is really well done. And he beats the muggers. Uh, uh, brutally, pretty uh, bad. Yeah, yeah. brutally. Well, he had, a lot, he had some issues to work out. Plainly. Well, it was more about <laughs> yeah, it was more about him getting that anger out than yeah. it was about him saving those uh, totally the, the, the people the white like couple. thank you, thank you, and mm-hmm. run off. Yeah. Um, he comes home to June, the noose still around his neck, and looks at her and says, "Okay, I'm angry," which I thought was a really well delivered line. Next afternoon, he wakes up, and she shows Will that he was in the paper for helping that couple. It, this is exactly the same article that's in the Watchmen back matter about the first appearance of Hooded Justice, mm-hmm. which is great. That, again, we said everything fits. It to- totally fits. Um, then she asks him why. Asks him to tell him about that Bass Reeves movie he loved as a kid, Trust in the Law. A man in all black, a man in a hood, shows his badge and stops mob justice from you know, lynching a white uh, bad sheriff. All the townsfolks are white. And then she says, what happened to the theater that used to watch that in so many times? What did the fine folks of Tulsa do to that? And he says, burned it down. She also, she's, you know, seems along with the plan to begin with. And she even introduces the idea of him posing as white under the mask. Which is the smartest thing you, you could do. And she, asks him if, that time. and she asks him if he's sure, but it's Angela who answers, I'm mm-hmm. sure. And, it, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Daryl. Well, I'm just saying, it's, this is such a smack-in-the-face moment because it makes you go with the previous episode we had that thing about the dna right mm-hmm. the trauma that goes in the dna and we have angela who never knew anything about her family prior to this donning that you know costume that looks you know with the hood and and changing the eye color um we already saw her snap when they were fighting the rorschachs when she was trying to be the the voice of reason and then there was just something that triggered her and she's punching that guy. Like there's just I just love how it's just peppered in and now we're starting to see that in this episode how close she is to what her grandfather had started. Like they they are really connecting that DNA thing uh with that trauma that she's feeling. We uh we next see um uh him on the rooftop on patrol. Hey hey to the ink spots, I don't want to set the world on fire. Uh, ironic. What happens <laughs> later? He decides that you know, because it's Fred that he knows is part of this, he's going to track Fred, and he he tracks him to a grocery store. And in the back of the grocery store, he sees uh, I'm I'm going to call him Clan Cop because we keep seeing him. He's like the guy yeah. who was you know, yeah. told him to you know, the main Clan Cop guy. And some others doing Cyclops hand gestures and going in the back door. 
uh, Hooded Justice comes to the back of the grocery and beats the hell out of these clan cops. And, um, again, we have, you know, don't want to sit the world on fire going on in the background. He knocks most of them out and mm-hmm. looks, he finds a book on mesmerism and a map of the eastern United States and certain cities marked off, uh, 12 cities. Which just goes to show that this is organized across the entire country more than like It's a vast, insidious conspiracy. That's what they keep telling us. Right. Anyway, Clan Cop, the main Clan Cop or whatever, drags the fight into the grocery store. And this is a totally different version, of course, than the American Hero story version. Yeah. Right? But what ha- I guess what actually happens is, so did Justice beating the hell out of a racist dude, and then Fred's behind the counter and he says, what the hell are you? And then pulls out a shotgun and starts firing at him. Um, and Hooded Justice dives out the window. Instead of into the window. This is a great... I This whole sequence is really fantastic, and I really like what they do here next, which you're going to get to. But just the... the the way it, like you're 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 getting all these details and you're like you're the episode wants you to click all this in as far as what you've been seeing as far as hooded justice goes versus what the show is trying is now telling you is actually happening. It's it's pretty brilliant. Angela is the one who dives through the glass. Yeah, she she's midair, and time freezes, and Lori Blake is back, and she keeps fading in and out of color, which is a kind of a subtle effect they use. And she tries to tell her that she's in a coma, and they give her an adrenaline shot. And if you can hear me, blink. So she blinks. And she you know, goes on to say that you know nostalgia could kill you and all this other stuff, but you have to remember who you are. You have to come back. And she's like, if you can understand what I'm saying, blink. And she blinks several times. And then uh, Lori has Cal come and explain who she is. And Cal becomes somewhat colorized as he's saying, you know, my name is Cal Abar. You're Angela Abar. You were born in Vietnam. We have three kids together. Um, you know, all these things. And, you know, he's basically just... The president is Robert Redford. We transition away from this, uh, because she fades out. Cal and June are at home having dinner, and they have an unexpected uh, visitor. Mr. Nelson Gardner. And I just want to say, playing of this character is, I just thought, perfect. He's, like, condescending... Yeah. And kind of, kind of, you know, has a superiority complex, and actually is nothing. It reminded me of I'm drawing a blank on the name, but the main captain in the seven in uh, the boys. Oh yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's played by uh, Jake McDornan. I thought he did a really, a really good job. Oh, he did. He really did. Yeah. But he has come to talk to uh, Will Reeves about hooded justice and about a group of costumed adventurers he's putting together and as he's saying this june can barely keep a straight face yeah like she's laughing at all she she sees through the bull oh totally angela cuts in here for a few lines too um and and june is just like i said having a great time laughing and he asks him uh, what does he know about cyclops and and nelson's like oh is that some insidious uh, organization like he's all right it's like he said, you know, we, we really need to have you in the group. You were the first one, and you will legitimize the entire group if you would join us. He thinks that Will is passing on information to Hooded Justice, not that he is actually Hooded Justice. They touch hands as he passes him his card, and as soon as he leaves, June stands up and says, No! <laughs> and they transition 
to the scene of Nelson grunting in sex. Yes. Yeah. Nelson and Will are together in bed, and he's saying, you know, no one can know your secret. You know, you have to always keep the mask on and everything. And, you know, but we need you in the Minutemen to, you know, legitimize the group. Um, and then he suggested maybe this time they should do it with masks on, which seems to be a recurring theme. Well, it's very interesting. Basically, they want him to keep the hood on, or he wants them to keep the hood on so they don't lose their sponsorships with banks. And... Oh, yeah, totally. Well, we'll see that in a minute. They transition from that to cutting to June and Will in bed. This is when we find out that June was the baby that Will found in the field in episode mm-hmm. As he's telling the story, the door frame behind them in color has the, you know, the whole sequence from the first episode of him finding June as a baby wrapped in an American flag, you know, and carrying her off. And, and, you know, and this is also when she tells him that she's pregnant. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I almost did that. I <laughs> my echo, my shadow and me, uh, also by the ink spots is playing. Um, uh, which is again very apropos considering that and uh we also see you know cutaways of, of him putting the makeup on. And sometimes it's Angela and sometimes it's him, but he's constantly putting the makeup on. We see the big Minutemen press conference from uh from Watchmen. Hooded Justice comes out, and he try. He's got his red f- uh, file with him, right? And he tries to... I have you know, seen a vast and insidious conspiracy in this city. Captain Metropolis switches the, the focus to Moloch, Mystic Solar Mirror. And they unveil a new Dollar Bill promotional poster. <laughs> and it's Dollar Bill grabbing the, one of the most, like, racial oh, racist depictions yeah. of so a, a person of color that I've mm-hmm. ever seen. The um, dollar bill, you know, grabbing the, 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 the black criminal, exaggerated features, um, all the all the stereotypical, you, you know. About right, which is used know. a lot in newspapers and magazines mm-hmm. and advertising. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. absolutely. So he gets as a viewer, shot. as a viewer, I felt bamboozled. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we see a montage of Will spending less and less time with June and the baby. The baby is growing up. Mm-hmm. Little bit by little bit, and Will keeps uh, keeps putting on his makeup. Our next big, uh, as, as after that uh, sequence, there's a, uh, a riot, a slaughter, and a movie theater. But even the way they talked, it, remember the police when they go, "We need you." That wasn't even his beat. They just called him because it was a yeah. black area. I think he said something like, "We need someone who speaks their language." Yeah, yeah, and he he said those, oh. and he called them animals. Said, yeah, oh yeah. What do you do when you? What happens when you lock up a bunch of animals? Together? Yeah. The movie is uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which is about a guy who dreams about doing other things. He goes The, in the talks... original Secret Life of Walter Mitty, even though yeah. it's obvious given the time frame, but just pointing that out. Right. Uh, he talks to this, uh, this, this woman, and she explains what happens. As she's explaining what happens, we hear this like high-pitched whine, and she's like holding her head, and she couldn't believe what she was thinking and seeing her friends do. Um, and that really is like, okay, now I know what's going on with Cyclops. That really, like, the light goes off for Will at that point. Right. He follow. he sees somebody trying to take, they're taking the camera out of the theater. So he follows that guy and they're loading it into one of Fred's trucks, FT and Sons. Um, and he follows that to a warehouse. At which point he calls Captain Metropolis. Because he still wants to believe, right? He still wants to believe that. He says, you need to get the rest of the group yeah. get down here. And he says, like, well, I guess you'll have to solve racial unrest all by yourself. 
because this is not quite the Minutemen's cup of tea. Will, of course, is not very happy about this. He's still, by the way, he's still in his police uniform. He, he kind of beats the phone into the phone booth and Fred sees him, but doesn't recognize who he is. He's like, I, I know all the cops on this beat. You're not one of them. What are you doing down here? And Will doesn't say anything. He goes, oh, I know what you want. Come on over to my warehouse. I'll get you some steaks. Yeah, you I, people I, love uh, steaks. I, I, I'm sitting watching this thinking, like, I want to smack this guy upside the head mm-hmm. right now. Like, the guy, this guy you do not recognize? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> wasn't is perfect, Will, though. like, the second or third black cop in New York City? And he was the, I don't know. How do you I mean, well, it goes to how shows, perfect it is. It shows is how when, deep his racism goes. Yeah, that goes to how deep his racism is, yeah. But, I mean, from, not what we, from what we hear about it, you know, they already have enough meat to satisfy. Isn't that what he said? Yeah, he did. He said something oh, like that. Yeah. So he also terrible. said, he also said all of you uh, kind of looked the same to me after a mm-hmm. while. That was something I heard in the South a lot too. And I was like, oh. what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. But anyway, um, he says that, and Will says, that's your warehouse? And Fred says, yeah, come on. And then immediately shoots Fred in the, in the brain. Yeah, that was it. That was, that was that was the point. I knew I saw it coming. Like that was the you can almost feel the the uh, everything break within him. Any rules yeah. that he had about you know lines that are crossed or whatever, it just entirely snapped. And he's like half cop, half vigilante here. Mm-hmm. He's wearing his police uniform, but with the mask, right? He's not either. Right? He's part of both organizations, and they both let him down. They both. Yeah, I like that. I love how they set that up. He puts the mask on, and as he starts into the uh, uh, the warehouse, Edith Piaf, smoke gets in your eyes, it's playing. Mm-hmm. And he just slaughters these Cyclops, Cyclops dudes. Oh, yeah. It's like headshot. I wish this guy, I wish Will was on my Call of Duty team. I'm saying. Like five headshots, man. I would mm-hmm. win. He, he goes over to the table, he sees the mind control, I guess, crystals mm-hmm. that are sitting out, and there are cameras that were used by them to incite that riot. Clan cop, who I referred to before, main clan cop, is recording the mind control of the audio of the mind control tape in another room. Which is why he didn't hear anything, yeah. That's also the same cop that actually put the noose on his neck and let him down. Wasn't it the same one that arrested? It wasn't the same cop that arrested, that pretended to be angry. I thought it was, yeah. I looked like him. No, it was, but it was also the same one that that put him on the noose. Well, what got me so much about it was that he was the one that totally fooled him with that, like, you know, mm-hmm. pretending to be angry and made him apologize and all that. And then, you know, turns around and does the symbol yeah. like that's such a, you know, lies and false images, you know, the the, the whole thing. Yep. He has uh, he's used all his bullets. No, like he, yeah, he, but he takes, he, he puts the gun at the back of his head, takes a shot while he's taking, like he's recording the thing, and, and he goes, damn it. <laughs> he's supposed to come Yeah. Out. <laughs> he's pissed. <laughs> I'm mad so, for him. Yeah. So, um, he, he grabs the cord to, uh, of the headphones that the guy is using and strangles him to death. Uh, then he stacks all the bodies, uh, in the middle of the room, you know, Black Freighter style, and burns the entire place down. But he takes out, he takes the, the um, crystals, um, and as it burns, he remembers Tulsa burning, and he removes his mask. So he comes home after actually, like, getting some of these bad guys, kind of like a Pyrrhic triumph. He comes home, and he sees his son trying to dress up like Hooded Justice and loses it. And June slaps him, takes his son, and says, we're going back to Tulsa Wool Reeves, and you do not follow us. You do not see him. He's like, I'm not going to leave. And he's like, I didn't say you could come with us. 
she makes it very clear she does not want him in his life anymore. She thought she said she thought the hooded justice thing would help with this anger, but it hasn't at all. It's gotten worse. So yeah, it's it's an amazing thing how she well they've known each other most of their lives, right? They met each other out of tragedy. Well, she's known him all his life. Right, right, and she knows him so well. Like she 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 knows him more than he knows himself. Um, you guys did notice the Lois Lane parallel, right? Oh, okay, cool. For I just, sure, I mean, it's all right. reporter. It. Yeah, it's yeah. all there. Reporter. The, the whole thing has. Who he is. Yeah, it's all analog. I mean, ever since the moment of the comic book, except for there were, you know, some switch up things like she was the one found in the field and stuff like that. But I don't know. It's really, really good. We cut to old man Will. It's a good like. I'm sorry. It's just a good like transition that they do to like get you to old man Will. It's good stuff. Uh, just the way it progresses and we oh, get yeah. you know, all these imagery and everything to kind of connect it all. Like you know what this reminded me of? It reminded me a lot of. It reminded me a lot of like ha- having like this is the episode that's like the Doctor Manhattan chapter in Watchmen as far as seeing like a, a kind of a growth and where this person started and where they went from there. Getting this entire backstory that's it, it's not uh, it has a a very distinct visual style that feels like a break, much like it does in the comic where you're getting just kind of something that seems like out of, not out of play, but like it's individual to itself in the midst of this grander story being told. That's a, that's a lot of what we're getting here. And I, uh, it just, it plays so well visually. It's so, it's so fascinating to watch. Uh, we see, um, Judd hitting the spike strip, Judd looking out at his flashlight. Now this is the strobing effect. They warned us about at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, I, so. saw, I was like, Oh, here's the moment. <laughs> Boy, I'm glad I'm not photosensitive. <laughs> but evidently he has made a mesmerism flashlight, like a mesmerism strobe light, that does pretty much what the camera did. Whatever he says, you do. Well, when he took the camera, didn't he take the plans for it, too, as well? well yeah, he took the camera, the plans, and those crystals. Those Folgers crystals. No. Um, <laughs> I never trusted Folgers. I know, right? Instant coffee is terrible. Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> I knew it was evil. And he directs him to uh, the hanging tree. Uh, Judd tries to talk his way out of it. And he's like, you don't know me, old man. And he goes, oh, I know you. And he makes the Cyclops symbol on his forehead. Yep. And he nods. He's like, I know you. You have a uh, um, Ku Klux Klan robe in your, uh, in your the back of your closet. And he says, that was my grandfather's. It's my legacy. Mm-hmm. I have a right to it. That's not a legacy I would be proud of. Just saying. I don't think I would be either. There's more to it than this, right? <laughs> yeah, there's got to be more to I mean, it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's such, a, it's such a vague statement, too. Yeah. Like, plus, also, Judd says he's trying to help you people. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. There's more to it. got to be more to it than this. I, I'm, I'm just, sure. I'm, you know, the Crawfords and Keens have been, you know, in cahoots for so long, we find out in the back matter, that, mm-hmm. that would not surprise me at all. There's a, a bigger game here. Yeah. Um, the piano player is back. Um... And uh, Louis Gossett Jr. looks at Don Johnson and says, okay, you can hang yourself now. But I and like how he makes him push him up there, right? He's holding yeah, him yeah. Right. He makes him. And you, I'm all for all that anger because we've got this whole setup of all the stuff that's happened prior to this over the he years. He told Angela he was the one that done strung up her captain. What? Yeah, and you, you, there's no way you believe that that's what happened. But it just, just the way that he did it, it just the way that... He's even pretending to be weaker, like he can't even walk up the hill. Well, what's the first thing he says to her before he gets to the hill? He says, yeah. he says to her on the street. Up. Yep. Do you, you, you like to lift 200 pounds? 
Yep, he did. And he was telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Probably he was probably telling the truth. But um, the fact that but the fact he has mesmerism and that he's working with Lady mm-hmm. True, just like you know, they're they're whatever they're doing is just like, oh my god, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a giant tuning fork for mesmerism? Is it are they gonna feed Will Reeves memories to the entire population of the planet? Um, I mean there's so many I don't know. Like I said, the end game is is all we know vague, is he you knows know. she's going to be pissed about this. It, it, yeah, and and it's in he, a couple of days. He feels it's the right thing to do, but he also knows that she's going to be pissed when she, uh, when they do it, when they find out what what they're going to do. See, and he concern, wanted her to have these memories too. That's why, like, Mike, it's I, I, it's hard for me to think like he's just going to reveal that he was hooded. Just as like, okay, that's a reveal, but at the same time, it's like. I mean, is that really going to impact the world? Like, what is that going to do? I mean, I, it'll be like, oh, that's neat. But, I mean, right, that's not gonna you know, it. it's not it's not a squid dropping on New York and killing no. a bunch of people. Like, there's, yeah. there's a bit of a difference there. Right. No. I think, I do think he left those pills behind on purpose for Angela, though. Sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I did. So he would know who she, you know, she would know who he was and stuff. He made, a, he made it a point to say to her, you don't know your family. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know, these things you need to know. So yeah, I, I totally thought when he when he when he had those pills, I totally thought he wants her to take that. So, there's something with those pills before we knew what it was. He wanted her to take those pills. Yeah. Um, we see Angela in the wheelchair, shining the light up at Judd as he dies, and for her to experience the death of you know a friend, mm-hmm. you know, mentor and stuff through you know through her grandfather's eyes is pretty heavy. This is when the memories start to break down. We see you know, different different parts of different scenes. All it's almost like a video collage of what we've seen in the past hour. Right. Uh, and the drum is you know being uh, is rolling in the background, and we see you know the piano player. We see June. We see you know all the different a lot of the players from the last hour just kind of fracturing, and then Angela wakes up with a start. She has a giant IV of Sunny D in her arm. And she's at Lady Trier's place. Uh, she, Lady Trier is reading on Rand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and she seems really annoyed. Very <laughs> like, much so. Like she's like, oh, good, you're back. And she leaves. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how the episode ends. Yeah. It makes me think grandfather, you know, the, the, her grandfather probably said, I need you to do that and get her out and safe. Right. Or so makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, she owes him a favor of some kind. Right. Maybe like he shared the mesmerism technology with her. Because mm-hmm. I mean, we see. I'm gonna you know a slight spoiler for next week. In the previews for next week's episode, Lady Chiu straight up says, "I have a plan to save the world." Yeah. Did you also notice? I don't know if it was in that because I also saw this other like upcoming teaser trailer thing um, where we see Lori now, Lori. In like she's at a table. I couldn't tell if she's tied down or not, but there's this giant cyclops symbol behind her. So I'm like, mm, that's interesting. Uh, we see uh, in PDP, PDP, PD. Oh, I've been talking a lot the last. Yes, time. you have. PDPedia. Okay, I got it out. You got it. Um, we get the uh, uh, Dale PD uh, with um, the will of Nelson Gardner, which is pretty interesting because he asks. For Mr. Reeves to be the sole beneficiary of his estate, yep. Even though he has no idea where he is, so maybe he had a little, little bit of guilt for the way he played him later in his life. 
the other thing, key thing we learned from Wikipedia is the, um, Lori, she's been, like, everything that we, we were watching in flashback or what have you, she's been saying, Angela's been saying out loud. Uh, and so she heard, like, everything, uh, as far as this backstory about Hooded Justice and all that, which I, yeah. will certainly play a role. <laughs> <laughs> reading, reading, uh, Lori's thing is really funny, though. Yeah, it's very much dro- the attitude that she delivers on the show. That's she cool. drops all the F-bombs she does. Um, and, you know, now she knows that, uh, um, you know, Reeves is justice in this memo. Um, and she signs off to you in the funny pages. Mm-hmm. Pretty hilarious. And then Lady Triu, Fact or Fiction, it's like a Tulsa Magazine piece. Just who is this Lady Triu who has decided to build a new wonder of the world? <laughs> yeah. So, if you're uh, into the back matter of the show, I recommend it. Uh, it has some of the stuff about, uh, background stuff about Lady Triu having like a dozen doctorate degrees. Of course, uh, what we mentioned earlier on an earlier episode that she named herself after a Vietnamese uh, legend who stood up to the Chinese Empire. Item, what? Lady Triu's father was the comedian. There's some speculation about that as well. Mm-hmm. Which I also wondered early on <laughs> when her introduction was, I was like, well, that'd be a neat way to play it. I... It, it seems like it'll be a little too tidy if that was actually the case. If it was like everything's all, you know, this isn't this isn't a HHWLD podcast. It doesn't have to all be connected. Oh, we miss you, Russ. <laughs> yes. Oh, also the Vietnamese Liberation Front. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Well, that's uh, yeah. that's the last episode. Of the, the last. That's the uh, sixth episode of Watchmen. This extraordinary being. I, I know we're a little late this week, but you know, holidays and and uh, family illnesses and. Uh, all kinds of other stuff uh, delayed our travel. So thanks for being patient. I appreciate that, listeners. And uh, Aaron, why don't you start off and tell us where you can be found all over the interwebs? You can find me uh, writing at We Live Entertainment. I've been covering Watchmen over there. Um, I started – or sorry, I've been covering Walking Dead over there. I started Watchmen, and it's just been incredibly busy, and these episodes are so dense that it's hard to like write re- weekly recaps of Watchmen uh, to the extent that I'd like to write about them. But I'm hoping I could at least get some for the last two episodes, at least the season finale. Um, all my movie reviews over there as well, and I'm on, on – I uh, host my own podcast with my friend Abe out now with Aaron and Abe. That's on iTunes. You can find that. There's a lot of fun there. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. He just messaged. He just disconnected. Okay. Um, yeah. You can find Rich on the uh, Walking Dead TV podcast, of course, and on the DC All-Stars podcast when we talk about the DCCW shows. Daryl, tell us all about your your uh, giant empire online. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, you can check me out on, uh, you can check out the Taylor Network of Podcasts, uh, where we have, uh, a bunch of great podcasts on there. And one of them is Nothing's On, which, uh, of course we have Jim and Donnie and me and myself, and we cover as much of the movie and TV, uh, news going on as well as covering, you know, as much of the, the, the TV shows and, and, uh, films. That we and, can and, of the three and, of us. and we're talking about doing a crossover episode, uh, top ten TV shows. Yes. So yes. between HHWLOD and uh, Nothing's On. So yeah, I, stay I, tuned for that. I, I wrote out some things. I watch too much TV. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing these days. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, it yes it is. Uh, and with uh, the Star Wars thing happening uh, with the baby Which Yoda, one? with oh, uh, baby Yoda. Oh my God, baby Yoda's all over the place. Um, 
Uh, and also the uh, the movie. We have a Star Wars movie coming up. If you want to catch oh, uh, yeah. the uh, latest news and info about that, uh, plus covering the books and the comics and all that cool stuff, you can check out uh, Star Wars Conversations as well. Um, and with all the Trek stuff that's coming up, we have uh, you can go to Go Trek Yourself. Uh, Picard is about to start uh, in a few weeks, I think. Um, so it would definitely be, uh, me how's and J- How's JK, JK doing, man? I miss, I miss that cap. Uh, we, awesome. well, we just recorded a new episode, so that'll be popping up, uh, this coming week. Uh, and we'll have some more coming up, especially with the Picard show. About I like that start. show because you bring out the absolute worst in one another, and it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> yes, we do. We've known each other too long. I mean, not in the best way. <laughs> yes, no, we know. We, we know. Uh, so you can definitely check that as well as Russ. Uh, you want to catch Russ, who's, you know, been very busy uh, these past few weeks. Um, he's on uh, Gotham by Geeks, and uh, which is the Batman podcast. So we, we definitely cover most of the Batman uh, content there. Uh, so yeah, so you can cover, you can check out all that stuff on the uh, Taylor Network podcast, uh, available in all different feeds. Awesome sauce. Well, thanks so much. Until next week, we have our next episode to talk about. Uh, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock, everyone. Thank you for listening. Good night. We three, we're all alone, living in a memory. My echo. My shadow and me We three We're not a crowd We're not even company My echo My shadow and me What good is the moonlight, the silvery moonlight that shines above? I walk with my shadow, I talk with my echo, but where is the one I love? We three will wait for you. Even till eternity My echo My shadow And me We three We're all alone Seem like we're living in a memory That's my echo, my shadow, and me. We three, we ain't no crowd. Fact is, we ain't even company. That's my echo, my shadow. And me. You know, I've been wondering what good is the moonlight, that silvery moonlight 
that shines way, way up above. Yeah, I walk with my shadow. I talk with my echo. But where is that gal that I love? We three will wait for you. Even till eternity. My echo, my shadow. 